This podcast is brought to you by Aetna. Learn how Aetna is working to build a healthier world by visiting aetnastory.com. Hi, this is Doro. Just a quick reminder before we get to our guest today that the Achieving Optimal Health Conference is on Saturday, October 3rd. Due to the pandemic, this year, the conference will be held virtually, and all are welcome to join. You'll be inspired by luminaries in health and wellness and take home real strategies to improve your happiness and wellness. You can get all the information you need at AchievingOptimalHealthConference.com. And now for the show. People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Denise Albert is a journalist, entrepreneur, public speaker, producer, and breast cancer survivor. She is the co-founder of The Moms and mom-focused town hall events called Mamarazzi. Denise is currently writing for Thrive Global about living in quarantine with her ex-husband, his wife, her ex-husband, and the kids. I met Denise in Kennebunkport, Maine, where this modern family is quarantining together. Welcome, Denise, to HealthGig. Well, I'm so grateful to be here. I just love what both of you are doing and that you're doing it together. It's a lot of fun. We love what we do. And I couldn't wait for Trisha to meet you because your story is amazing professionally and personally. It's hard to know exactly where to begin, but I thought we'd begin with your professional career. And so you began your career as a journalist. Is that right? Yes. I actually started at the age of 14 interning, which I think is really important to learn about what you think you might enjoy. And I luckily was right in what my inclination was. And I was always really fascinated with media and journalism and television and telling stories and people. So I started at a really young age and I just continued to learn and to try new things and to learn as much as possible at different aspects of the industry. And luckily it stuck. For me, it's always been about passion. And so you mentioned that you lived in jail for 10 days as Deborah Norville's producer. What does that mean? My first actual real job after college was working at King World's Inside Edition, which after having also worked at ABC News, it doesn't have the same sort of level of respect, but it was a really incredible place to learn because it's a smaller operation and you have to work almost a little bit harder because when you are starting to try to work on stories and get stories, you know, you're up against all the networks. So if you can actually get a story for a show like that, it's just a little bit more of the learning of how to actually work on a story, get a story, and then continue to share the story. And so one of the roles that I took on at Inside Edition was doing a little bit of investigative reporting and producing and really digging in and learning about whatever the story was that I was working on and trying to shed light in some way. And so we took a great interest in the prison system and the jail system and especially women who were incarcerated. And we were trying to learn about why the recidivism rate was so high at the time for women specifically. Why did they keep breaking probation and going back? And we wanted to really explore that a little bit. And so most jails across the country would not let us come in with cameras. And I was able to find one in North Carolina that was open to it. So I was Deborah's producer and we wound up living the first time in jail for five nights. Really 
you know, engross with the prisoners and learn what each day is like for them. And it's a sad story a lot of times. I mean, obviously there's criminals and we have to follow the law and not break the law. But when you look at it from the human side, for some people, they don't have the education. They don't have the family support. They don't have the right structure in their lives. And only know a certain way. So what we found is that a lot of the women were there continually. They were very young. And I was very young at the time. I was the same age as a lot of them. I was 25. We found that a lot of them, you know, it was a safer place. There's a roof over their head and there's guaranteed food every day. And so it was just really eye-opening to learn more about what happens and why people make the wrong decisions sometimes. That's really fascinating. And I'm a people person. So, you know, in everything that I've done, it's really all about learning, connecting with people, just learning about people because you just never know what their story is, how it became that way and what you can do with it. After that experience, how did you navigate the rest of your career? So I was mostly behind the scenes as a journalist. I really enjoyed creating and developing and digging into each story and then sharing it with whoever I was working with. And there was a part of me at the time that wanted to be on television, on air as a reporter. But growing up in New York City, it's a really hard place to break in. You know, a lot of young reporters are told they have to move across the country and move to small markets and start really small. And I had already sort of made it in the big city in terms of on the production side. And I really didn't want to go anywhere. My family was there and my life was there. And so I just continued behind the scenes and just loved every aspect of it. I did do some on-air work at some local small shows. Then I became a producer at Good Morning America and really enjoyed that. But it was a little different because I had this great job on paper. I was a senior level producer at age 26. But because I sort of became that level... It took me out of what I really loved, which was meeting people and sharing stories. And I became more of a manager and managing a department and finding the stories. And so I didn't love that job, actually. And I was pregnant with my first son and decided for something new. And I just took a chance. And then an old boss called me and said, I'm working on a show with a magician named David Blaine. Do you want to come work with us? And I was like, wow, that's really unique and different. Well, I don't know anything about magic other than that I was a fan. And so I said, that's great. My son was about eight months old. I left Good Morning America. And the next day started with David Blaine. So it was just like in a really unique opportunity. And David and I really hit it off. I learned about this whole world of magic. You know, one of my mottos right now that I share with my kids every day is anything is possible with hard work passion and dedication. And I really learned that from David because the first time I started working with him, he asked me to do something that was so outrageous and crazy. And I wanted to say to him, David, I can't do this. This is nuts. And then I realized, wait, if I'm going to work for a magician and be his producer and produces television shows and produces events, he can't hear no from me. He needs me to figure out a way to make things happen for him. And so that was sort of like a light bulb for me. I know you asked me about my career in journalism and I did go back to journalism and started my own company now, which is called The Moms. And I've written a lot for different online places and publications and networks. But David is really the one who taught me that anything is possible because of this whole world of magic, which he's worked really hard and for hours and hours and hours every day. It was like a switch in my head because I was like, wow, he needs me to be his yes person. And that's sort of how I live right now. 
That's amazing. And isn't it interesting when there is somebody that kind of helps you see things differently? And it sounds like that's what David did for you. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, he did. And I tell him and I thank him every day. And we're very close friends. He's very close to my kids. You know, he didn't mean it. He just, he laughs when I tell him because he can't believe he's had that impact on my life and my career. And I started my company because I learned so much from him about how to build a brand and how to create I just really take in every experience and try to learn from different people. So tell us about the moms. Tell us about what you're doing now and what you've been building. So I met my business partner, Melissa Gerstein, when we were both working in news. Melissa was at MSNBC and CNN and covering different presidential elections on the trail and doing really hardcore news. And we both met because we had kids and we felt like we wanted to continue our careers in television and journalism, but really wanted to be very, very present parents. And actually one of my mentors said to me along the way, a woman who I worked with in television, she said to me when I was getting married, I'm so glad that you're doing this because a lot of women in our profession forget to do that. And I was like, huh, that's fascinating. It's a little bit easier now. I think the world has opened up and women in higher roles and I think being flexible a little bit. But even when I was at ABC News and having a baby, I was one of very few women that had kids network news and that was pregnant and working. It was a very, very, very hard place to be as a mom. So Melissa and I came together over the fact that we were both moms working in news, very young moms with very young babies. And we really wanted something that was in the vein of what we know and love and have worked so hard doing, but really in a way that we could do it while being fully available for our children. And so we started this company called The Moms while we still both had other jobs. And we continued to do it for about two years while we were still working full time. And we would come home from work, put the kids to bed, have dinner and then just start working on our company. And we really just started as a column in a newspaper. We had some ideas to write a column like Sex in the City, but it was called Moms in the City at the time. And we just reached out to people we knew in the industry, people we didn't know, whoever would take our content. And we did it for free. Like I said, we had other jobs, but we just needed to get it going. And so we started with a small newspaper, actually called Metro U.S. Newspapers, which was given out free by the subways in New York. And we were in 12 other markets. And once a week, we would take turns writing a first-person piece about parenting. And then because of our relationships in the media, we would also interview a celebrity about what we were talking about. And so from there, we sent an email blast out to everyone we knew just to say, hey, we have this column every week called Moms in the City. And then from there, we started pitching ourselves to different television shows. And we eventually got our own show within the NBC family. It was called Moms in the City and a Dad Named David. And we started providing content for the taxis in New York before it was really a thing also. We didn't have a business plan. We sort of laugh about it now because if we had had one, it would have just been a television show. And now we've grown to a media company and the TV show was a nice start for us. We interviewed other mom entrepreneurs and interviewed celebrities. We had a segment called Mamarazzi. And from there, we turned Mamarazzi into an event business because we wanted to be inclusive of moms across the country. So that's sort of where the focus of our business has gone. We host events with celebrities when they're promoting something. And we bring in moms across the country to join our 
events. And now, of course, we've had to go virtual. So it's a little bit of a pivot. And then we are also currently launching a marketplace on the moms.com. A lot of moms in our community across the country are also entrepreneurs and business owners. And we've really wanted to try to help them all grow their businesses. And we just didn't know how. When we had a radio show, we would share their information on social media and share their stories. And now what we're trying to do is bring it all together by sharing their stories because we really feel like there's such a connection between moms and moms who want to support each other. So we are in the beta phase and we're really excited that we're going to be launching a marketplace where moms can sell their products by sharing their stories. So it's all about the connection and the sharing and supporting. So Denise, your partnership reminds me of Tricia and my relationship, which I think really is rare. It's hard for great friends to work together. Tell us about Melissa and your friendship and your partnership with her. I love Dora, when you told me that your partners with your sister-in-law, like you just said, it's such a special relationship because it's hard and people probably don't even want to believe that you actually really love each other. <laughs> we find that a lot. People will like say that. So you guys are really close. You're really friends. You don't actually hate each other. We have a really special friendship. We did not like each other when we first met. <laughs> I will say that. And we laugh about it today. We were very completely opposite in most ways. We're similar in the fact that we're both hardworking and really focused on that, but we actually couldn't be any different. I always like to say she's happily married. I'm happily divorced. <laughs> you know, we have very different family backgrounds, very different ways that we raise our children. Although as we now grow older together, I think we're getting a little more similar in that way. We just love each other. Our kids are best friends. We are together here in Maine now as part of our pandemic living life. I kept begging her to come join our blended family. I'm here living with my ex-husband and his wife and her ex-husband and our children. And Melissa had been living in St. Louis with her family where she's from. I just kept begging her, please come. So thankfully she's here and she it saved my life. And I said to my mom the other day, Melissa is very close to my mom and I'm also very close to her family. And my mom is actually our company attorney and she's just such a huge part of both of our lives. And I said to my mom, if Melissa ever annoys me again, just please remind me how much I need her and love her. <laughs> Tell us about this living situation and how did it happen and what's going on with it? Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> Well, you were on Oprah. Yeah, Oprah. We were on Oprah. <laughs> it was very exciting. So I've been writing about our pandemic journey. I started actually when I was still in New York before this, when the pandemic started, because I had just started dating again. I had just gotten out of not a good relationship <laughs> that was sort of long-term. And I had just started dating again. And once we all had to stay home, it started to get depressing, like what happens? I mean, obviously, after you can put aside the fact that people are sick and dying, and right. obviously that is the priority, right? But then selfishly, everyone has their own struggles that they deal with. And for me, dating was that. And it still is lonely. And it's hard to think about how will I actually meet somebody again? What does that look like? And how does that happen? And so I wrote about that. And then I decided to continue writing and then I didn't know what I would be writing about. And so anyway, my ex-husband and I have had a very amicable relationship, even though obviously there's been struggles and there's times that aren't good. But for the most part, we have a very pleasant, nice divorce. And his wife, 
who I did not have a relationship with, her kids were away with their dad and she does not have a relationship with her ex-husband, but they were away because they were on spring break and he didn't want to come back into New York City at the time, which made complete sense because we were now the epicenter and where he was, he was in Vermont with the girls and there was nothing going on there. So my ex-husband called me and said, hey, Dan doesn't want to come back to the city. Would you consider going to Vermont? And I said, well, no, first of all, I'm paying rent in New York City and I cannot do two places. I'm not in that situation. I'm a single mom entrepreneur, even though I don't like the word single mom because he's a good dad, but it's just the reality. I also am a cancer survivor and I know what it feels like to be sick. And at that point, we didn't know if we were going to get sick. We were in the middle of it all in New York City. We didn't know if we had been exposed already. So I said, you know, I don't want to leave New York City and be sick somewhere else. If I'm going to be sick, I want to be sick at home. Mm. It was just a really hard decision. And ultimately, we realized that with New York that bad for all of the parents to be able to be a part of the kids lives it was in the best interest of the children to leave new york city and so we did that and we did it thinking it'd be two or three weeks and here we are just about four months later still together and you've decided to stay together on your next move, right? So we're actually in the middle of figuring that out right now. Mm-hmm. It's been hard. They may actually take a break for a couple of days. Jordan and Laura, my ex-husband and his wife, we have to be out of the place that we're currently living right now and we're looking for a new place. But because of the lightning bolt yesterday, my ex-husband's computer, he like lost everything, which I feel like is maybe a sign. And so they have to go home for few days so he can get his work working and it's actually I'm thinking a really good thing (laughs) so we think Dan and I which is my ex's wife's ex are going to stay for a couple more weeks with the kids and then the other parents may go back to New York and then just come back on the weekends, which feels really nice to me. Yeah, a little space. <laughs> My mother would have called your situation a modern family. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It is beautiful. And it is, for the most part, the best thing that I think we all could have done. So I really do believe that we did the right thing, not just for the kids, but for us. I think it's been a really incredible life experience. And I laugh when I say I'm glad they are leaving, and I am, but I am grateful for the experience and we'll all be friends forever. And I feel good about that. And if my ex-husband and I have a disagreement, which we do, we recover very well. And I think it's a very healthy relationship, but I am excited that they're going to leave for a few days. Wow. And what was it like being on Oprah? So I wasn't even nervous. I think it's because, you know, when it's a Zoom, I think it would have been very different being in the room with her. And she was so cool. I felt like I was just talking to my best friend and she really didn't agree with some of the things that I was saying and I was okay with it and it felt good. I didn't feel like I needed to act a certain way because it was Oprah. You know, I really do try not to judge and she wasn't judging either. I think she was just stating an opinion and how she feels. And especially right now, everyone is very sensitive about the way to live life. The reason why she was apparently attracted to our story was because I wrote a piece about feeling lonely, even though I was Mm. in a full house. And it's, I think, something a lot of people can relate to. For me, it's because I'm living with people I would not choose to live with. On top of the fact I wanted to date, I wanted to continue living life, especially as a cancer survivor who... I was very sick and I had a lot of treatment and I'm excited to live every day and to live with my boys and to be able to take adventures and try new things. 
although I do believe my cancer journey did prepare me for this pandemic. So, you know, I'm grateful for all of it. Tell us your story. I was diagnosed, it was December of 2015, and it was a complete shock because thankfully my family doesn't have any cancer history. So I really hadn't been through anything like that before. Although my father-in-law had cancer, but it wasn't a direct family member for me. It wasn't something that I have lived with or seen every single day. You know, when you have no family history, you don't expect to be diagnosed at such a young age. And so I had had a mammography three months before that was fine. I was very lucky that I felt a lump that hurt. I had a little pain. I didn't ignore it. And I think that's, you know, an important message I like to share. The myth that cancer doesn't hurt. Well, that wasn't the case for me. You know your body. And if something is different, you have to check it out Mm. because early detection is everything. It saved my life. I had a very aggressive kind of cancer. Even though I was early diagnosis, it was it's aggressive. So if I had ignored it, the end result would have been very different. Even though it was early, I had to be treated very aggressively. It was a very long journey. And I then was allergic to one of the medicines that I was on for a while. And so I now have rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease. But you know, I just try to take each day, I try to live as healthily as possible. I try to work out. That's where I met you, Dora. You know, my working out and my spin classes are everything to me. (laughs) I just think that a positive outlook and taking care of yourself is the best way to live. And you're very open and honest about everything in your life. I said, oh, you look great or something. And you said, well, it's my wig, which <laughs> which I read that you said you actually prefer your wig because your hair mm-hmm. always looks good. I'm thinking about that myself. <laughs> oh, she might get mad at me, but my mom just did it. Switch to a wig. Also. Yeah. Yeah. It looks great. And your openness and honesty just helps so many people. Mm-hmm. And Um, it's a wonderful way to be. Well, thank you. And I really do want to hear more about what you guys do. And I've read a lot and I just think it's so important. And I love that you're doing this and I love that you're doing it together. And I'm just so grateful to have met you. Thank you, Denise. Jeez, really appreciate it. I wanted to be sure to ask you about when you were going through TSA, because I do think that incident was helpful to others. I hope so. Thank you. I mentioned that when I was in cancer treatment, I had some allergic reactions. So at the time, I didn't know what it was. We just thought it was just side effects from chemo. I had horrible rashes all over my body for about a year and a half to two years. I actually still have them now for different reasons, but it was a very uncomfortable process for me. And I had a lot of lotions and a lot of different medications that I had to use. And my first trip that I was cleared to fly once chemo ended was to Los Angeles with Melissa for a work event. And I was very prepared to travel with my creams and lotions and medications. I kept them all in their original so that it had the prescription on it. I took them out. I handed it to the agent and I explained, I would always say, I'm wearing a wig and here's my medicine, you know. And when I was flying home, I encountered some people who didn't follow their protocol. I think that means, I don't know if they were just having a bad day or just, who knows, right? I just try not to judge, but obviously it's not the way the whole TSA operates, okay? But I encountered two people who weren't good people at that moment. They 
started to challenge me and my medicine and they wanted to pat me down and they wanted to pat my breasts down and I explained to them that I had a port under my skin and they couldn't touch me there and they were very forceful. I told Melissa, please start videotaping and she was nervous. She, her and I fought over it because she was like, no, she thought we were going to get arrested and I was like, I don't care. I didn't do anything wrong and so luckily she did start videotaping. They started to pat me down and it was really awful and I took my wig off and it was a horrible, horrible experience and they finally let me go after a lot of yelling and crying and screaming and I got onto the plane to fly home and I just started writing. I had written about my cancer journey publicly. I had written my first piece for people.com and then I did an ongoing series for Good Housekeeping and a lot of social media. And so I put the video up on my Facebook and I wrote exactly what happened. And then you see this horrible video. And then I was like tweeting the TSA and I was trying to reach out to their media relations person because I wanted them to know what happened so that they could find those people and fix it. By the time I landed, I mean, it was like hundreds of thousands and media everywhere. And the TSA had reached out to me and I wound up speaking to some really incredibly beautiful people. They apologized right away. They wanted to talk to me about helping them. I donated my time. A lot of people were like, are you going to sue them? And I said, no, 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 this is not about money. This is about making sure this doesn't happen to anybody else again, right? They wound up right away retraining everybody on what to do if a person is sick while they're traveling. And I shot a public service announcement with them. It was probably one of the greatest things I've ever done because for me in my journey, the reason why I share is you hope that you can help somebody else. And what I found is that by sharing I was also being helped because people from across the country were reaching out to me and sharing their stories. You know, anything from just saying, wow, thank you, this helped me, and now I know what question to ask my doctor, or little things. At the time, my younger son was in public school in New York City, and somebody on the playground came up to me, another mom who I never knew, and she said, I read your story, and I just want to tell you that I'm a survivor, which... A, I didn't know her, and B, I, even if I then met her, I never would have known. But she said, I just want to tell you, if your nose is ever running and doesn't stop, it's because you lost your nose hairs from chemo, and no doctor will tell you that. And I was like, oh, my nose runs every day. Thank you for sharing that. You know, little things. My nose today still runs, but I know why. Right. You know, an example like that, it's just like these little things that you can share with somebody else. And then it's like, oh, I feel okay. Okay, I don't care now if my nose runs all day. At least I know why. Right. And I don't think there's something like majorly wrong with me, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what I got out of the sharing. And then all these other moms in my neighborhood who I didn't know would come up to me and I'm a survivor too and I'm a survivor too. And not just my neighborhood, people I speak to in California, I speak to people in Idaho. I mean, I see people in that all the time and all can help each other. And that has been the most rewarding part. And so from there, I realized now I have a thought, you know, and that when the pandemic started. I can't be the only single person who is a single mom worried about dating right now. I'm going to write about this. I find that's how you connect with people. It's wonderful for people to be heard and to be understood from your stories because they can relate to them. Yes, and you really have had quite a life. Amazing. And yesterday, uh, lightning striking your house. Oh my We're word. glad you're alive. <laughs> and then I actually just shared on my Instagram this morning, I was looking out at the beautiful scenery, and I feel very grateful to be where we are. I'm not a religious person, but I do believe in putting positivity into the world and thinking about 
things positively. And I looked at the beautiful sky and I said, you know, I think that lightning bolt, I had a, not a great day or two with my ex-husband and, you know, different things we don't see eye to eye on. And I said, you know, I think the bolt was like a reminder of like slowing down your thought process. Don't respond right away. Take it in. And I really believe that. Mm, I think that's true. I think we're all getting a lot of signs from the world right now. So do you have a favorite inspirational quote? I have a few. Good. (laughs) Well, one, sports was a very big part of my growing up life. And so there's one by Michael Jordan, which is, I have failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. And then another one from Wayne Gretzky, the best hockey player ever, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I just believe you just have to try and try. And then I have one from Michelle Obama which is success isn't about how much money you make. It's about the difference you make in people's lives. And then Gandhi, be the change that you wish to see in the world. I could keep going, but I actually keep those all in my notes section on my phone. And I have about 20 that I keep that I read over and over again every couple of weeks. Oh, that's beautiful. What about you guys? Do you have one? Yes, we do. I can't think of it. (laughs) One of my favorites, change the way you look at things, things you look at change. True. You know, and when you were talking about your friendship with David at the beginning of the podcast, I thought, oh yeah, that's another example of that. Being able to make a shift and all of a sudden something changes and therein lies the miracle. That's my favorite too. Love that one. (laughs) I'm jumping on that bandwagon. (laughs) And then do you have a favorite book that you think everyone should read? First of all, I mean, with kids, I, little kids, I love Dr. Seuss. I mean, there's so many great quotes also. Why fit in when you were born to stand out? Oh. It's one of my favorites. So I think Dr. Seuss for kids has really just the best messages, simple kindness, inclusion. Those are really important. For me, I'm really like a current event feature biography news junkie. So I spend most of my time... You know, I really just love to read what's going on in the world. And I love people's stories. So I'm more of an article news person right now and have been since I started working in news. Well, there's a lot going on in the news. So a lot to read about. And that causes a lot of stress also these days. It certainly does. Yeah. Well, Denise, we have loved having you on our podcast and we are so inspired by your life and your openness and honesty and sharing and helping others. So thank you for being on Health Gig. You have the most beautiful family, such kind souls. So thank you for the interest in my life. And I look forward to more. Thanks, Denise. Thanks, Denise. See you in spin. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well.